How's it going this morning, everyone? Great worship. Awesome. Communion was awesome. Thanks, Aaron, as well. That was, that was powerful. I'm Brian Robbins, one of the pastors here at University Church. Welcome, visitors, for the first time. This is a great service to be at. Communion is an awesome weekend, awesome Sunday. Um, we are in this series called Christology, Christology, because of who you ask. And um, we are in, I think, week four. And this has been an amazing series. Basically, we're talking about Jesus, the various attributes, the various characteristics of his nature, his person. And um, the, whole, the whole goal, the whole objective, the whole hope that we have is that as we talk about Jesus, that we will desire Jesus, that we would go home and we would spend time with Jesus. We'd read through some of these scriptures that we're talking about during these, 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 uh, these sermons, and we would go home and meditate on these things. And as we, as we look at him, the idea is, again, this ongoing theme that what we behold, we become. What we look at, what we spend time with, what we gaze upon, we become. And so as we spend time with Jesus, we become more like Jesus. When we don't look at our, our stuff and our brokenness, our own stuff, we look at him and his beauty and his mercy and his perfection, his love, that we become more like him. And so that's the whole, the whole hope of this series as it leads up to Christmas. Um, this week is, a, is an amazing story I wanted to talk about just that exemplifies and talks about Jesus's mercy, his compassion, also his divinity. And this story comes from Luke chapter 7. It's about the woman who anoints him with perfume and with her tears. And um, it's, it's going to be a little bit emotional. I mean, it's a heavy, it's a heavy picture, a heavy, a heavy story. And it happens, this story, there's, there's a couple different stories that happen throughout the gospel. Each gospel has their account of a similar story. I believe this one is different. I believe this one was a different woman, not Mary Magdalene. It was a different woman. This happens before uh, Jesus went into town for Passover. This happened in the city of Nain, not the city of Jerusalem. So this is probably a different woman. Not that it's that important. We don't argue about it. But I believe it's, a, I believe it's a, just a unique a circumstance where Jesus is uh, encountering this, uh, this situation. Jesus broke so many boundaries, I mean, so many social norms, so many things that would have been, that would be, would, would be and would have been shocking in his day and age. And this is one of those things. When, when, when a rabbi allows a woman to touch him and cry at his feet, this is, this is not normal stuff. Like, he broke the norms of the day in so many ways. And I wanted just to say that, like, I feel like just, just as, as, we, as we get going, like, this talk is really about Jesus entering in the, the darkness or the brokenness of this woman's life. He did this over and over again. He was called in Luke, as we get going, Luke, Luke 734, the son of man came eating and drinking, and they said, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. The son of man being Jesus came eating and drinking. He came and they accused him of being a hypocrite. They accused him of being someone who was a sinner because he hung out with sinners. He did things that would have been shocking to a Pharisee, to a rabbi, to a teacher, to a religious person because he crossed over the line into, into people and in, 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 in into societal areas that were off limits. You don't talk to prostitutes. You don't talk to lepers. You don't talk to tax collectors. You don't talk to sinners. And he broke these norms because he was not because he was necessarily just trying to go and shock people, but because he was trying to show the love of the Father, that it knows no bounds, that it knows no limits, and that there's no, there's no requirements to earn his love or be good enough for his love, that he loves all equally. And so he crosses these, over and over again in the Gospels, he crosses over these boundaries, over these norms. And, 
And it's oftentimes because he simply is showing this is the heart of the Father. And what's amazing is he does it, he does it not to go and endorse the person in that lifestyle. It's easy to say, oh, Jesus went and he drank some alcohol at a party to a wedding. You know, Jesus hung out with this person or that person. Jesus did that. He must be endorsing what they're doing or he's agreeing with it. But he wasn't doing that. He actually was going there because he knows the brokenness of alcoholism. He knows the brokenness of sexual sin. He knows the brokenness of those people in those circumstances so profoundly. And he knows they need a savior. And so he was crossing the lines not to endorse the, what they were doing, but to save them from it, to save them from the destruction that they were in. When I was in high school, I came to Christ. I was kind of a partier, and I was kind of in that, in that kind of party crowd. I was a little bit wild, and I got radically saved. But I didn't want to stop. I didn't want to stop partying. I didn't want to stop kind of drinking with my friends. And I kind of, I kind of made these excuses. I was like, I kind of had these excuses. And I was, I was kind of a cool, cool kid in high school, just to be honest, you know. I was, I was a lifeguard on the beach. I used to work out. I used to work out. Anyway, here's a picture of my, uh, see, that's me right there. That's me right there. I used a little bit too much sun in one summer, and my hair turned a little bit too blonde. You can take it off now. Take it off. But the next year, the next year, I, I, I worked out, and I was, like, getting in shape. And my senior picture, and look at this. This is me my senior year. <laughs> transformation. Accepted Jesus, and boom, Hasselhoff time. <laughs> but honestly, honestly, I, I, was, I was reluctant to stop drinking as an you know, underage, under, what are, underage kid. And so my friends, my Christian friends were like, why do you do that? And I, would, I, I, I had scripture verses. I was like, I, Paul, said, I, Paul said, I become weak to win the weak. I become all things by all means to save some. So I do that to be like them. And so I, was, I remember being at a party, and I was, I was drinking as an 18-year-old senior in high school, and, I, and this, this friend, this younger, younger guy, he was known, he was just this, he was really, really, he had, he had problems with alcohol, even in high school. And I remember he walks over to me, he's like, Brian, Brian, man, I'm so glad you're here, man. I'm so glad to see you're drinking, and you're a Christian, too. He's like, I'm a Christian, too. And I was like, okay, that's all right, that's all right, what's up, Jeremy? And he says man, do you remember a few years ago? I, I felt so weird coming to parties, and you gave me my first beer. You gave me my first beer, and you said, here, man, have some fun. And my heart just sank into my stomach, and I was like, oh, man. And I was like, man, I'm so sorry. You're never going to find life in the bottom of that bottle, even though I have one in my hand, too. And I said, Lord, I'm so sorry in an effort to try to bring someone out of that brokenness, I was endorsing their brokenness. And Jesus never does that. Jesus never, he, he could go to a party and he never endorsed that lifestyle, even though he could have a beer with somebody. He, he never, never confused that. No one was ever confused that he was there to save them from the darkness they were in. And so I felt, man, I just, that was it. That was it, I was done. I was done drinking that, that that year at least. Anyway, um, so in this story, here, let's, let's, let's begin the story. Luke 7, 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. 
As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So that's the scene. Jesus is invited to this house. He's still kind of getting some notoriety. He's probably been, been getting around the area, healing, teaching, all that stuff. He's invited to the Pharisee's house. And these leaders are there probably. The disciples are there probably. It's all men probably. And they're all sitting there. And the, the, way, the way it worked is there was these kind of tables they would have, kind of U-shaped tables. And they would sit on the ground. And let, their legs would kind of sit behind them. They would sit there and they would eat. And so the Pharisees are there. And they're really there, maybe in a way, in a way testing Jesus. They're kind of seeing what he is really about because they don't know yet. This, at, least, at least this Pharisee, Simon, he's not sure yet. They haven't placed judgment on him yet. And so they're waiting to see what happens. And so this woman walks in. And people would have known immediately who she was because she would have dressed a certain way. She would have smelled a certain way. That very perfume that she had, she would have used to identify herself as a prostitute. We don't know how she became a prostitute. She could have been divorced, left. Her husband could have been, she could have been a widow, and she, used, and she had to turn to prostitution. She could have been sold into prostitution, slavery, by her parents who may have owed a debt at that time. They, they would sell their child into human trafficking, into sex trafficking. And we don't know her story, but the brokenness is profound. She doesn't care about the norms. She doesn't care about the expectations. She is desperate, and she is real, and she is raw. And she comes in this house, and everyone sees it, obviously. And she begins to, she begins to come apart because she knows she needs Jesus. And she's weeping, and she's kneeling at his feet. Now, immediately, she's touching a rabbi. That's, that's unheard of. You don't touch a rabbi, let alone his feet. Feet, feet were the most dirty areas of your body because you'd walk around and, on, with sandals on town to town and have dirt and grime on your feet. So she's there wetting his feet with her tears, weeping. Weeping is different than crying. You know, weeping is like uncontrollable, unimaginable pain that's coming out of this woman. She is broken beyond broken. She is weeping uncontrollably. And then she lets her hair down. That was, that was crazy. Because to do that was a sign of such vulnerability and intimacy. Even now in Muslim countries, women cover their hair, right? They cover their heads because it's so inappropriate. When I was in high school, I had a friend who was a, who was a strong Muslim. His whole family was, they're all Islamic. And I went over, to, went over to his house one time and I just kind of walked in the door. And his sister was sitting there on the couch and she didn't have her head covering on. He screams, Brian, get out of the house. My sister's naked. He said that. My sister's naked. I'm like, oh, she just was sitting there. But her hair was uncovered because it was that serious to show her head, her hair. It was that serious. It was almost like, like nudity. So this woman is with a bunch of Pharisees, a bunch of men, and she lets her hair down. She's completely saying, I'm totally vulnerable, Jesus. I am totally vulnerable. I have nothing to hide from you. I have nothing left. And she just takes her hair and she begins to clean his feet with her hair. It's a shocking scene. Sexual brokenness is profound, isn't it? It's profound. Maybe the most profound kind of wounds that we could experience is sexual brokenness. And this woman has experienced that. She has sold herself, given herself over and over again. Human trafficking is real. It's still around. It's growing in our society. It's, it's horrible. 
It is the second largest criminal industry. There's 50 million human slaves in the world today, worse, worse than in the days of slavery in America. 50 million around the world. This is still real. 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years later, this is still happening in our day and age. And I want to show a clip from a documentary that's called Nefarious. And the, the movie's from this ministry called Exodus Cry. It's a ministry in Kansas City that works with human trafficking. It's an amazing ministry I came across 10 years ago. And he, he makes this documentary showing the trafficking going on around the world. And he, and he basically goes through these seven or eight women's lives as they, as they come out of trafficking and come to know Jesus. It's powerful. There's this one woman named Helena. I'm going to show her in just a second. And she has come out of trafficking. She's been out of trafficking for a long time. But the brokenness is still so real. I want to show this because it's vivid, because this is what this woman was feeling in this, in this story. But it's not supposed to be cheesy. It could, be, it, it could come across as a little bit cheesy, but she is, the brokenness that she's describing is so profound. And this is the first clip I'm going to show of a few. So this is Helena talking to, to Benjamin Nolo, the director of the ministry, about the brokenness that she experienced while she was being trafficked. This is the, the clip. It's about one minute. What type of emotions did you feel? What were you experiencing during that time? Intense fear. Intense fear. Um... <laughs> a real rejection, a feeling totally unloved, unwanted, uncared for. I just felt totally lost within myself. <laughs> Unwanted, uncared for, totally lost. Jesus answered Simon. He said, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, two people owed money to a certain banker. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Which will love him more? Simon said, the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly. And Jesus then said, he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, Simon, do you see this woman? One of the most powerful questions ever asked by Jesus is he looks at, this, he looks at Simon looking at the woman and he says, do you see her? You see, Simon, I see her. You see a failure. You see the sin. You see the darkness. You see the, the stuff. But I see a daughter of the king. I see someone worth dying for. I see what you can't see through your religious, judgmental, sexist mindset. It's a powerful picture. Jesus says, do you see her? He says, then he judges Simon. He says, I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet to clean my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. 
You didn't put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. And here it is. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love is shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. She never said a word, y'all. She never said one word. She didn't accept Christ as a Lord and Savior. She didn't say the four spiritual laws. She just came in weeping, broken at this man's feet. And he sees right to her heart. And he says, do you see her? Because her actions spoke louder than any words could. Her actions spoke louder. When she let her hair down, she was saying, I'm totally vulnerable, Jesus. I have nothing. When she poured the perfume that would have cost a year's wages, $50,000 approximately, the perfume was so expensive. It was, it was, it was how she, she was identified as a prostitute. She poured it on his feet, not just as an act of worship, which was for sure part of it, an act of worship. She was saying, I'm done with this life. I'm pouring it out on your feet, Jesus, because I'm done with what I've been. I don't care what it takes, but I am done with that. She was repenting without any words. And he received it all. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that can even forgive sins? And he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Man, could you imagine that? She's wanted peace for her whole life probably. What would that look like to be told by the king, go in peace? Your faith has saved you. Your faith, not your faith in just nothing, not just positive thinking, not just just ethereal faith. Your faith in me has saved you. You're crying at my feet and you realize that I have the power as the son of God to forgive your sins. Jesus' divinity is perfectly seen here when he forgives sins and he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You know, peace is what we all want. Peace, peace, is, peace begins with peace vertically with God. When we experience peace with God, we can experience peace within our hearts. It begins there. And she's probably wondered about that day when she would stand before God for the things she had done. She's wondered about what it would look like when God looked at her. Would he judge her? Would he condemn her? What would it be like? And now she knows. The king of kings has said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the the second part of Helena talking about how she was encountering Jesus for months in dreams, and how Jesus was showing himself to her in the midst of her, her brokenness, in the midst of her, her, her trafficking experience as, as, as a younger, uh, younger person. Let's watch the last two minutes. This is amazing. It was such beauty and such love that emanated from him. I was just, I fell at his feet. I was like a dead person. And believe me, at that particular point in my life, I wasn't scared of much, but I was... And it wasn't like a fear he's going to hit me. It was like who he was, who he really is. And I fell at his feet and I just was, I just cried and I said, Lord, I'm so sorry for what I've done. And when I got up, he'd say, Helena, I'm waiting for you. And uh, it was so beautiful, so, so gentle. So, so gentle. 
And that went on for about six months. I, 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 I was always waiting for him to say a harsh word or condemn me, but he didn't. To think that he's, he, he took me, I was nothing. I was laid, when he found me, I was laying in a bed. I hadn't had a bath for a year. I was covered in abscesses where I'd uh, skin pop stuff, I'd miss veins, I'd cut myself. I was stinky, I was smelly, I was rotten. And he took me and he made me something beautiful. And to me, that is so wonderful. That is so worth giving my life to. And I just, oh, I just think he is so wonderful. And I don't want to stop talking about him because my heart just fills with joy. Oh, and I just want everybody to know about him, you know? I mean, it's just, it's just amazing. You think he loves you? Oh, I know he loves me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know he loves me. And it's real. And it's real. It's real. Yeah, amen. It's good. That's, that's the gospel. That's the power of encountering the love of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus. Do you see this woman? Like, it's such a profound question. Like, do we see the homeless person that we come across? Do we see what, what he sees? The coworker that frustrates us, the son or daughter that we're, that's rebellious right now in our lives and our family. Do we see? Do we see them like what he sees? That, he see, that when, when Jesus looks at that rebellious child or looks at that coworker that snubbed you or that whatever it may be, that person that we want justified wrath against, God sees the gold behind the rust. God sees the potential. God sees the worth. God sees the dignity. God sees what they could be, just like Helena, just like this woman in Luke 7. That's my prayer is that we would see. We'd see ourselves when he sees us, and we'd see others the way he sees them. We'd have the heart of God, the eyes of Jesus, the ears of Jesus, that we would experience what he feels for others. You know, I, I was a youth leader for many years, and I had a lot of kids that were, that were hard to work with. I mean, they were, they were hard to work with, and especially middle school kids. Anyway, um, it was just tough. Those, those seasons are tough, you, and you look at those moments, and you go, this kid is so annoying, or he's so, he's so persistently rebellious. And if I, just, if I just see this moment for what it is, I, I don't want to relate to him anymore. I don't want to spend time anymore. But if I see past this, if I see the potential that this this son or this daughter could become all that God has for them. There was a kid named Andrew that I, I, I worked with for a long time. He came from a really broken family. He had several siblings, and, and he, he, um, he was the youngest of, of several of the, of the siblings. And basically, he was just so hard. He was, just, was, he was always there. He was, he was always adding his two cents and always kind of persistently. He's probably watching right now, actually. He's a friend of mine now on Facebook. Anyway, Love you, dude. Um, but a month ago, he contacted me. I hadn't, t- I hadn't talked to him in 16 years, and I went to lunch with him about uh, three weeks ago. And he's married with like four kids of his own, and he loves Jesus. He loves Jesus. And he's on fire for the Lord, and he is walking in freedom. And I'm like, gosh, if I would have je- thought about that potential then, how would I have acted you know, 16, 20 years ago when I was working with him? Do we see, you know, the way he sees, the potential in the heart that he has? And do we let him see us? Do you let him see that stuff, that 
in the sense, let your hair down, but you say, Jesus, here's it all. Here, here, here it is. Here's all the brokenness. Here's all the shame. Here's all the stuff that I want to hide. And we just pour it on his feet and say, I want to be done with it. I want to be done with it. Let's stand. Ministry time. Mm. This is an amazing story of, of, of the heart of the Father, of the heart of Jesus. And so I just want to invite the Holy Spirit just to speak to you wherever you are. The question, there were two kind of questions, like, do we see others and do we see ourselves? And so I want to let the Holy Spirit speak to you as, as you need to hear his voice right now and to come before him with whatever is at, at your feet and whatever is at your, on your heart. So Father, would you come Holy Spirit? Come Holy Spirit and open our hearts to you, Lord. We open our hearts to you. Like this woman, where else can we go? We just want to lay down the things that have caused so much shame and rejection and fear, brokenness, and bondage. We lay them at your feet, Jesus. We pour them out right now.